Wing Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Welcome to episode 295. You know, today we discuss mitigating threats and managing errors in your daily flying life. You know, many of us hear about threat and error management and think, oh no, another acronym. And a dozen things I need to learn to implement some new strategy. Today, we want to give you some practical advice with examples on how to implement strategies in keeping you safe by mitigating the risks involved in general aviation flying and increasing the positive outcomes when we have mistakes. So welcome to Threat and Error Management for the General Aviation Pilot. Joining me today is in sunny Florida, sunny but cold Florida, is Eric Crump. Eric, welcome to the show. It's great to have you back on. Thanks for having me here. It is cold. Um, I'm wearing long sleeves and long pants, which, and for those of you that are not from Florida, that usually only happens in like two or three days a year. <laughs> so it's very odd to have long sleeves and long pants at the same time. Well, Eric, I'm excited to have you here, especially for this topic, because I know uh, you guys are looking at implementing uh, a course on this. Also joining us, uh, who is right now kind of laughing at us, thinking we're a bunch of wimps, is uh, Russ Rosleski. Hey, Russ, how you doing, buddy? Well, I've thought about you, that about you Floridians for a while, but um, <laughs> actually, it's 20 degrees warmer today here in Oklahoma than it is there in Florida, if you can believe that. It's a beautiful sunny day here. Yeah, we're jealous of people from Oklahoma. Something different today. <laughs> yeah, it's not, that's not <laughs> often to hear that. Let's do the pre-flight. Before we begin, by the way, just a shout out to our folks at Patreon. Thank you for helping us out. StuckMikeAfcast.com slash Patreon. And all those monies that we collect from Patreon to help put this uh, together, actually, every $10 of the money we collect, we put towards giving away one of those scholarships guys that we talk about all the time. And you can find more about those scholarships guys at aviationcareerspodcast.com slash free, because you can get a free scholarships guide, or just scholarships. And what that does is it enables you to look at a guy that has over $120 million in scholarships for people that are looking to move forward in their career, but also their flying life. Say you want to get your seaplane rating, eh, you want to get uh, current you know, instrument, whatever you want to do, you can do that by getting a scholarship. Also, don't forget, we have courses too, stuckmikeavcast.com slash courses. Uh, some of those that have been out there for a while, and we're going to start adding more and more as I do more of these FAA safety seminars now that we are a partner with the FAA as opposed to me being a safety counselor with the FAA. That was a bit of a, a new change. I guess I should should uh, preempt this by saying I, I used to be a safety counselor uh, with the FAA for, uh, gosh, a couple decades. Uh, now I'm actually a content provider and a partner with them. The FAA safety program is terrific, and one of the courses they have out there is about threat and error management, which is what we're going to talk about. Now entering cruise flight. Again, we're talking about threat and error management for the general aviation pilot. And why do we keep saying general aviation pilot? Because threat and error management came from the airlines. And uh, we'll go in a little bit of, of history there. But one of the things I'm really excited about with threat and error management is that it helps us mitigate risk. And it helps us 
to really practically move forward with safety in, in a management type of process as opposed to telling people, listen, don't make these mistakes. I know, Eric, you were mentioning before the show that uh, one of the things that you really like about this and one of the, the reasons that people should look at threat and error management is the fact that it, it doesn't tell people, hey, don't make mistakes, right? Yeah, it, well, it embraces reality from the get-go, which is awesome. Um, and I think that's sort of, as we've looked at multiple risk management processes and decision-making models over the years, a lot of them focused on um, getting to zero risk or getting to zero error, which is, I mean, we know that's impossible. Human beings are always going to make mistakes. And if we didn't accept any risk at all, we wouldn't be in the airplane to begin with. So, you know, there's an inherent amount of threat and error associated with operating an airplane. And I like threat and error management because it accepts that reality from the beginning and, and focuses on how to uh, manage those things that are inherently going to happen when you're operating the aircraft. So I, I just like it because it's of of the models available, um, it's highly practical. And of course, I mean, you're gonna talk about this in a minute, but it sort of builds on you know decades of what we learned from crew resource management to, to sort of take it beyond human interaction, which CRM was important when it came out because, you know, the, the captain was, uh, the master and, uh, and the, the, uh, the, the poor first officer just swung the gear and kept his mouth shut. And so, you know, Korea's first manager did a lot to deal with the human interaction of the flight crew, not just on in a flight deck, but also in the back as well. Um, but threat and air management takes it a step further and says, Okay, but let's not just focus on the crew. What about all the other resources around us? What about all the the software, the equipment that we have? What about ground crew? What about dispatch? And so, and, and I think, and I know we're going to talk about this too, but like crew resource management, you know, people said, why are we teaching crew resource management and general aviation pilot training? Well, because the instructor and the student are a crew. They're, they're, they are crew operating the airplane. I mean, it's it's different, but it's the same concept. And so threat and air management definitely belongs in, in GA flying. And I like how you mentioned the crew being the, the instructor and the student, but also threat and error management really translates well to the single pilot. And that's the reason we're really talking about it today. Uh, so let's get into it. Let's, uh, you know, we're talking about this. We really need to, to kind of, you know, define it. And what I like to do, and, and everybody teaches threat and error management differently, by the way, and there's many different courses out there. There's those at the airlines. There's some really good stuff at fasafety.gov as far as the courses you can take and get credit for on the WINGS program. Highly recommend you going out and checking that out. But what I, I embrace with threat and error management is that we are trying to get to the point where we don't have what's called undesired outcomes. Uh, we want to keep ourselves in a state <laughs> that is a desired state as opposed to an undesired state. An undesired state would be something that an uncontrolled aircraft, an accident, an incident. Those are the kind of things that that we're trying to avoid. And that's why this resonates with me because it is so simple, just, just having that as a goal. And, and really within threat and error management or TEM, there's just, just basically three things. The three big things for me is basically you are preventing the mistake. We're kind of trying to trap those mistakes when they do happen. And those errors, uh, we can call them errors, mistakes. Those errors also there's, there's tools to mitigate those errors. So those errors don't lead to an even worse undesired state because there's levels of undesired state. We're going to talk a little bit about that later. later um, and just realize that 
not every undesired state leads to an accident. And that's what's great about this model is most undesired states actually don't lead to an accident, amazingly enough, and undesired outcomes and that type of thing. So anyway, just, just a quick overview, just to remind ourselves that as pilots, I think we give ourselves a bit of a disservice to our friends and families when we're flying general aviation aircraft. You know, we do truly operate in a complex environment. I mean, we have an aircraft that we're controlling, we're talking, we're also having to think and plan, and we have all these different tools that we have to actually, you know, implement and we have to control those tools. Like, for instance, we have things like ADSB, autopilot, and procedures, and checklists, and briefings, and uh, for every different stage of flight. So we have to re- come to the realization that when we're telling people it's just like driving a car, you know, the physical part of it might be, but there's so much more to flying than just the physical part. Yes, I get it. It's, uh, you know, you can learn it. Uh, just the physical part very quickly. Remember when I started flying, we didn't have all these tests that you had to take to to solo. They threw us into an airplane after like five hours said, here, you go solo this aircraft. They didn't uh, even have engines back and, then, right? Yeah, that was, no, you were still gliding bands, back then, right? Yeah, no, no, oh, rubber, rubber bands. bands. Yeah. Okay. And, and, so, <laughs> and everything was in tablets. I mean, it was incredible. And I don't mean those tablets you have with chiseled, the screens. I mean, yeah, it's a chisel yeah, and stone. Chiseled. I just realized people would, oh, anyway, I'm showing my age again. It was horrible. I went right down that path. But, but one of the things that I think is cool is to talk about the history, not just of me, but of, of threat and error management, because this goes way back. And that's what's neat, is the fact that the airline started this, and then we all realized this would be terrific for general aviation. Uh, and by the way, the when they started looking at this, it was actually University of Texas that did this study, or was uh, asked to do this study, uh, of airline operations and how we can actually audit safety, and come up with different measures and models to to mitigate threat. And that's how this threat and error management came about. And they did these things. They did this, this audit, and they called it LOSA. It's this line operation safety audit where they put people in jump seats that were observers, not necessarily pilots. Interesting. They weren't just pilots. They were at all different backgrounds. There's a lot of pilots, obviously. But I thought that was really cool because they were able to – to just look at things from a different perspective. And, you know, they had people, psychology majors and, and other people and engineers, people other than pilots to say, hey, what's going on here? And, uh, and they actually realized a couple things in this study, and they came up with this model of threat and error management. And one of the things that you hear about all the time that they came up with, and I think we all know this, is that these accidents and incidents that come about are rarely due to, to just one error. It's a multitude of errors. And, uh, and people like to use this model of that where we have, you know, a whole a sliced cheese, right? And those, when those of Swiss cheese and when those little holes line up, that's where the error is. We can have many different portions of that. But uh, anyway, I, th- I think it's actually terrific what they came up with. Uh, and that's what we're going to get into. Uh, Russ, you had a comment on that? Yeah, I think it's important for everybody to realize. And if you've read any any accident reports, any of the NTSB reports, you know, especially, especially if you've been kind of following the accident for a while, some accident happens and and people immediately, you know, okay, obviously this was, you know, the pilot chose to circle to uh, runway with a tailwind or, you know, something like that, or the pilot forgot to put their gear down. All right. But 
as you read through these these accident reports, and you're exactly right, it's very rarely due to one single error. I mean, you can trace some of these things back to bef- something that happened before they took off or 12 hours before they took off. You know, you talk about fatigue or something. I mean, there's usually multiple uh, players involved, uh, multiple opportunities to uh, misalign these Swiss cheese holes and and solve the the error, right? I mean, I, mean, I think the probably the simplest uh, mistake or incident, I guess, is probably forgetting to put the wheels down, forgetting to put the gear down, right? Even the most basic case of that has a minimum of three places you could have identified that error. Uh, one, obviously, you forgot to put the handle down. <laughs> you know, <laughs> two, you forgot to check that the lights were showing the gear was down. And three, you forgot about the warning horn at, when you pulled the throttle back or put flaps in or something. So even the most basic thing of forgot to put the gear down has a minimum of three things that you had to miss, three holes in that Swiss cheese that had to line up. And often, it's way more. I mean, as you know, it could be 10, 20 items. And if one of them was, you know, changed a little bit, there'd be no accident. And we've had, we would still have all these errors, but there wouldn't result in an accident. Like you mentioned, Carl. Absolutely. You know, it was interesting. You said that just to, to tie on to that is the fact that people think that a simple thing, like, like not putting gas in the, in the airplane or not having enough gas. Well, that's a simple error. And that's just one item. It actually is not. It, it's, it's a whole series of items when, when you're actually looking at why was there not enough fuel in the aircraft? Because I've heard that on some forums and I was, well, if you didn't put enough fuel in the airplane, you didn't put enough fuel. Well, how did you get to that point of not putting enough fuel in the aircraft? I hope you yeah, did. Nobody, nobody does it voluntarily. Exactly. <laughs> you, know? exactly. you know what I want to do today? I want to run out of gas. That's my, <laughs> right. my goal for today is to run out of gas. I think what's interesting about this, um, this original LOSA safety audit thing was – in this audit, what came out was sort of the birth of what eventually became um, AQP on the training side, but also FOQA on the safety assurance side, um, in that there were tons of errors that were made that were completely missed, um, that the crew did not realize that an error had been made. It just didn't happen to get to the point of uh, an undesired outcome because uh, something else happened or uh, maybe uh, you know they were told uh, to fly a heading. They uh, put in the wrong heading, but then before it became an issue, ATC gave them a different heading, and so they switched headings again. And what this found was that there were so many things we were missing um, because we were so focused on what's happening right now and not being ahead of the airplane. And TEM um, looks at – Russ sort of uh, said this a second ago, but – Threat and air management is cool to me because it looks at the whole flight, um, you know, the preventing part at the beginning, like the gear situation. Um, there, are, there are three traps to prevent it from happening when you're in that mode. But on the prevent side, when was the last time you flew or tried to wear aircraft? Um, do you have an established, uh, you know, checklist, mental checklist, call out thing you're doing with your – There, were, so there's training. There's so much stuff that goes on the preventing side you know, so that those traps were never would never be necessary because we could prevent some of those errors. I just like the fact that it looks at that whole ecosystem of the flight rather than just, okay, we missed this right here. And even when it doesn't does it lead to an undesired outcome, but why did it get missed, right? And how can we prevent other people from missing it? And so it really is a continuous improvement program. It's designed to feed information back into the training system so that we're, we're making uh, crews better uh, in the future. 
And to add to that, Eric, when you said about the LOSA process leading to, to FOQA and EQP, that, that FOQA that you talk about, that's that Flight Operations Quality Assurance Program, which is a continual process, and it ties into the Advanced Qualification Program, which allows us uh, with certain training to not have to do quote-unquote check rides, but there's different training gates, and when you pass those, you're done with your training. But it really is, is very integral, and it allows us to actually train towards an actual scenario-based type of training, which comes from this in that it enables us to implement this threat and error management in a way that allows us to understand it better by doing it in training and saying, aha, this is why we do this. And you're and, training on real world issues, which makes absolutely. it, which makes the training more practical uh, for the crew, which of course makes it more useful. Absolutely. And, uh, and they talk about loft, the line oriented flight training, and they do that in, in the collegiate environment. And that's actually where you go through a, a specific flight and you have all these different issues and you try to trap those, those errors and uh, try to mitigate those risks and prevent those things from happening. And also when there is a problem, when you, you do have a situation uh, where it could be a, a threat Due to a malfunction, you try to to mitigate that risk of an undesired state, and it's it's really interesting uh, because in in on the airline world, basically when you're doing these, you just try to make sure you don't violate any FARs. You know, go out the outside the parameters of anything, the airplane, etc., and you don't crash the plane. And uh, and that's basically what we have to. There's there are many different resolutions to the problem, but as long as that desired outcome is the, the safe landing of the aircraft. That actually is, is the goal here. And that's what I love about TEM, is the fact that it realizes in the real world, like you just said, this is how we manage that, and this is how we manage those threats. Um, but trapping those those errors, you know, like in prevention and threat and error management, uh, when we, a, a good example of trapping an error, and I, I love this one, is that someone asked me, well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by trapping? Uh, say you put the wrong heading in. Um, and you say they say turn to the left to a heading of 350 and you put 360 in. And that actually can be trapped by different methods, by either calling out the heading or having it verified by the person that's sitting next to you. The person not just being a pilot, remember a lot of times we're flying with passengers, and you get that passenger involved in this and say, hey, wait a minute, didn't that person just say 35, not 36? And hey, wait, oh, I know what I can do. I can ask the controller. And so that's how we cha- we trap that that actual, you know, that actual wrong heading and we move forward with that error. And we have that's our defense again of getting into this undesired state or consequence as we call it. Uh, we manage these threats. I mean, these this is something we do all day. This is our life as pilots, is managing those threats, right, Russ? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, you mentioned the you know the heading, and of course the same thing could happen on altitude or something like that. Uh, most of my flying, of course, is uh, single pilot stuff, you know, non-crew environments. So you know we don't have that person sitting next to us to to help us out with this. So I, I actually find that one of the most common heading errors, since you brought that up, is uh, heading three zero zero. Because someone sees that three there and they mm-hmm. put it on the three, which is you know, heading zero three zero, or or vice versa. So, um, but I think one of the things that can help is, uh, like you said, uh, kind of reading it out, read out the, the heading or out. Say it out loud to yourself. It's fine. You know, no one's making fun of you up there, right? But, but being ahead of the airplane, I think Erica kind of mentioned this. If you're ahead of the airplane, you will know what to expect. And when you hear that heading zero three zero, and you know that it should be 
a right turn, not a left turn, you know, you can, you can double check yourself because, you know, ATC, as we know, doesn't usually do things that are surprises. You know, most of it's pretty well canned. So, and that, that goes into any, anything else that we have with the, you know, using a checklist to help yourself trap the errors and such. I think we're probably going to get into a minute, but yeah, if you're single pilot, it, it is a little bit harder, but as you mentioned, Carl, if you're not sure, ask ATC again. They're, you hear that all the time on the radios. People are so are so shy to ask uh, <laughs> ATC for clarification. But, man, if you fly a lot, you hear it from the airliners all the time, and we think these airliners are the sky gods, but they get it wrong, too. You know? Yeah, and they're afraid of doing it wrong because it's their license and their job, so they're willing to ask. You know, yeah. I'd rather look like an idiot than lose my paycheck. So uh, one of the things that I think, too, is important is that we understand what these threats are, and then we'll move into some of the management. But uh, remember, there's threats, you know, operational checklists flows, those kind of things. We can make errors there. Also in the environment, there's threats, uh, air traffic control, weather. When we say air traffic control, how, how can that be a threat? Because maybe they mistakenly said 300 and they meant to say 030 because you know 300 will put you into that mountain. And then, uh, then also mismanagement of that threat is another biggie. I mean, how many times have you pulled out the wrong checklist? and said, hey, wait a minute, this is not the right checklist for what oh, I want to do. I, I see that almost every day. <laughs> exactly. Um, especially on those those single-page checklists, you know, the uh, Checkmate checklist is a common company. Yes. I mean, you know, someone puts their thumb at the wrong, you know, at the pre-takeoff the pre takeoff instead of the pre-landing checklist or something like that, and they start following it. They, they start reading right along. Well, but it's like it's an eight-point font. Like well, there is Anybody's that. normal thumb is like it takes up six items when you try <laughs> to put your thumb on it. I see the same thing. Yeah. But but I tell you, this, the same problems happens with the you know multiple-page checklist. I see people where they're still sitting there on the pre-takeoff checklist, and here they are ready for descent, <laughs> you know, and they're flipping through trying to find it and come up with the wrong one. So very important. Which to, is such a simple thing. You know, you when yeah. you finish the checklist, just go ahead and sequence to the next thing, but we don't, right? I'm done with the checklist. But That's right. again, think ahead. You're going to need the checklist again, and it's going to be in a high-demand phase of flight. So go ahead and sequence yourself so that you're ready. Put it in a place where you can easily get to it. That's, again, that's one of those ways to, you know, prevent the need to do any management <laughs> on the road. Just, you know, be proactive and think ahead of the airplane. Yeah. Do you see that a lot, Eric, uh, in your environment? Missing those checklist I mean, I, items or I going mean, I to the wrong one? I mean, I think that's certainly common in, in new pilot training. Um, and I think a lot of that is is just due to workload management because you've got somebody who's trying to maintain control of the airplane, listen to ATC, um, you know, uh, fly a heading, uh, the wind's blowing, you know, there, there's just so much going on at the same time um, that I think, and and that's part of that, I think, in GA is um, our inherent focus on the, the goal has always been past the check ride. Like you said a second ago, when we're, when we're operating in profession, the professional aviation uh, environment, airlines, cargo, whatever, it's the goal is a successful outcome of the flight. But in general aviation, typically, when you're in training, the goal is to pass the check ride at the end. And because that's because we're so focused on that, we're teaching somebody, you know, to fly the airplane, to operate the airplane instead of to operate themselves. You know, like the airplane can operate itself. It, you actually don't need to be there. If you get it going fast enough, it'll take off on its own um, and it'll 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 climb to an altitude. It'll level off and it'll pretty much stay there until it runs out of gas. And then it's going to fly itself around best glide speed back to the earth and run into something. And so really the pilot is there to point the airplane in the right direction and to make it a smooth ride. But the airplane is perfectly capable of flying itself. And what we really need to be focusing on is teaching pilots how to operate themselves. You know how to how to 
the fact that you're coming into this incredibly complex environment. So what tools exist for you to make your life easier? Don't make it harder on yourself than it already is. Absolutely. And that, and in saying that, I think we have to realize that the pilot in this case, we have all these, you talked about tools and threat and error management. We have these, this tool chest, the pilot is the, the most important tool. And even though we made errors, we also are the solution. We trap these errors and we solve these problems. And there's many different things we do through this threat and error management. And uh, you know, obviously, there's there's many different things as far as in our our toolkit. But one of the most important things. Let's let's go back to the prevention side of things. And and this is something that I've I, I really drill into my students' heads is the what ifs and. That's at the beginning of this. You know, this is that prevention side. This is where, what if I was to have a problem with my engine? You know, and be very skeptical in everything that you do. And always, and that what if is really that, you know, plan, you know, you're planning for that worst case scenario. You're hoping for the best, but you're planning for the worst. And that's what we do on all these cross country uh, flights, et cetera. Whenever we're, we're, we're doing something, we always want to plan for the worst. The other thing that I do, and I, I will say, I, I think it's very important is communicating, not just in the briefings and all that. Say you're flying with another pilot or you're flying with a passenger and there's thunderstorms ahead. You need to communicate to that other individual passenger, friend, etc., cetera, uh, other pilot, is that this is what we're going to do if. And it makes them so much more comfortable. And I've had a lot of people tell me they just love the fact that you start bringing these outside your internal voice instead of inside. You bring it out and say, this is what I'm thinking of doing. I know we're looking straight at a thunderstorm. Just remember in about 10 miles, I'm going to turn right so we don't get into that thunderstorm or if it closes in we can't get through that hole quote unquote we're going to just turn around and that's what's really important so those are the things that you do you communicate you do briefings you say hey before the flight make sure you you do brief with the person you're with and say hey if this is if we're going to go from point a to point b if you're a passenger this is what i want you to do i incorporate passengers into that briefing uh, but that what if planning if there is an issue that's where you bring the people into that and they feel like they're more in control too like if we have an issue we're uh, flying over the water to the bahamas uh, this is what i want you to do and it gives them some action and that way they can actually take control of that and they also i feel really become part of that flight you know just just getting involved but uh, but let's let's talk a little bit about those communications and the and the briefing uh, part of it is that there's there's certain things that i think that are really important is that at the end of our briefings, we tell the person, this is what we're going to do. This is what we have. Uh, this is the weather. Uh, do you have any questions? Be assertive. If you're the person, if you're a passenger or the other pilot, make sure you say something. If you're the flight instructor or whatever, if you're the student, say, hey, you know, I don't feel comfortable with this. Could you explain to me why you're doing this? And at the, at the airlines, we have this thing called a safety timeout. And we just say, hey, wait a minute. You know, timeout. I want, I, I don't feel comfortable here. Uh, and it's like, hey, I, you know, let's stop. And this is the, the best thing that I see people do, and we call that timeout, is you set a timer for one minute. One minute is forever when you're sitting there trying to make a decision. It really is. It sounds like it isn't. But if you just wait one minute, it really clears your head. And you're sitting there like, oh, my God, you know, I feel so much better now that I had that minute to, to calm down. But now also I have the guts to tell you, 
I, I think I'm I'm afraid of the situation. Can you can you help me out? Can you help me make this decision? Um, so what does that incorporate? That incorporates time management, obviously. So we talked about communications. We talked about this whole thing with you know that what if planning, but time management is so incredibly important. And I remember an, an instructor of mine years ago said to me, he says, one thing students forget to do is take that throttle and pull it backwards. You know, it, it, if I want to buy time, I pull the throttle backwards. I slow down. And I thought about it. I was like, wow, that was simple. But it's the simple things that I think are sometimes the, the best solutions. And, uh, you know, it's not just budgeting your time. It's, it's actually slowing down. Say, hey, wait a minute. Maybe we... There, I said speed. There's other ways to throw, slow down, isn't there, Eric? Yeah, I actually had this happen on a stage check not too terribly long ago. Um, I, I tell students over and over again, whether it's instrument visual, doesn't matter. You know, that, that delaying vector is your best friend, right? And so for whatever reason, pilots get in evaluation mode and they're like, I have to do this. Like this short field landing is going to be 300 feet short, but I've got to do it. No, you don't go around and try again, you know, but, but it, we were, um, we're coming into the traffic pattern. The student was way behind the airplane and I'm in evaluator mode. So I can't instruct. I can't teach. I'm just, I've just got to watch this unfold and I just want to help so much, but I can't. And you can just tell they're behind the airplane and they're, they're trying to figure out, you know, what to do. And, um, and the student, he was already talking to air traffic control, um, getting vectors into the track. We were basically on a 45 degree entry and downwind. And he goes, Hey, um, a tower, I need to break out for a little bit. Um, I'm going to just, I'm going to head back out to the North, um, get the airplane in order and I'll come back into pattern. And the air traffic control was like, all right, exit the pattern to the North. Have a nice day. And I was so excited, <laughs> was just like giddy on the inside. You know, part of that time management thing is knowing when when to say not yet, um, you know, and saying like, I need more time. You know, uh, I had a student probably a year or so ago uh, that I use in instrument ground school all the time to try to make this point to people um, getting vectored for an approach. There was no way this approach is going to work out. And at the very last second, I mean, we were maybe like three tenths of a mile from the initial approach fix. And the student's like, um, I need a delaying vector to get out of here. And I was like, oh, I really thought this was about to go into a really dark, unsatisfactory place. Um, and I think, you know, it's it's that understanding that it, it's okay to to delay, that that delay is not a failure. Pushing forward and making mistakes and, you know, busting an altitude, that is a failure. If it's on a, if it's an evaluation, it is literally a failure. Um, you know, if it's practically some kind of safety issue in the flight environment, it could be your, your, your life. So, I mean, taking that time to get out of there, get, get back to a, a level altitude, think through it, get in front of the airplane again, it's always the right thing to do. I love how you mentioned the the time management being something that's not just speed. It's it's actually distance. You can actually go somewhere else. You can hold a delaying vector, like you said. You can you can wave off. And sometimes time management is uh, not going at all. You know, it's like hey, let's let's wait a little while. Uh, it was very you know today was interesting. I was debriefing a, a CFI check ride, and uh, one of the things that came about from this that I thought was terrific is the examiner said to the the applicant, you know, if we went flying, by the way, I would have failed you. I was like, wow. Um, so by delaying that, that check ride, and this is for those people that are learning right now, you actually have created a positive outcome in that scenario. Use that tool. 
right here while you're flying in threat and error management. So I thought, I love that you said that. Hey, go around, do something. Hey, we'll, we'll have to fix this at some point. We'll figure it out. You see it at the airlines too. It's like they go around and the tower's like, why did you go around? I just didn't like the way it looked. You know, I, I just wanted to come around and figure out what was going on. That's it. So, uh, and again, in time management, another part of that, I think, is prioritization. Uh, I think it's very important that, you know, the f- most important thing, like in any checklist, you know, we say in emergencies, fly the airplane. Uh, so m- safety is always first, but flying the pl- airplane is really the, the first thing. Make sure it's controlled and, and you don't, you know, run into anything and, and slow the slow things down. Another thing that I want to mention, too, in the general aviation environment is something that has come to be uh, kind of a sticking point uh, lately for me is automation management. I think we underuse and overutilize automation sometimes. Uh, and I find that if we're in a situation that we need to think, turning the autopilot on, especially if you understand how to use that autopilot, is a big help. And that's the one thing I want to say about that is make sure you understand your automation beforehand and use that automation so that you can give yourself some time. And I was wondering, Russ, um, in, you talked about flying single pilot often. Um, in your use of automation, have you found that um, there have been challenges both in the use and the non-use of automation? Well, actually, Carl, most of my uh, instructor work and for the last a couple of years has been with upgrades for people who put in new equipment in airplanes and an autopilot specifically. I mean, there are some great autopilots that are coming out now that are relatively affordable, uh, depending on your airplane. And so I, I see exactly what we're talking about. You just mentioned, you know, knowing how to use your automation. I mean, I've been just last week, I was working with a couple of guys who upgraded all the stuff in their airplane and they had not seen Neither of these guys had flown GPS approaches before, <laughs> had used a IFR GPS, you know, and they, now they had this and glass panel and, auto, and autopilot and everything. But it was very, very important to make sure they understood all the modes of this autopilot from basic, you know, what happens when you turn it on? What does it come up in? You know, which is a mystery to a lot of people, actually. They don't, they don't think about what's its default mode, right? Um, all the way to, you know, altitude and pre-select and vertical speed and indicated airspeed, that kind of stuff. So um, knowing the relationship between the different modes and which ones are lateral modes and which ones are vertical modes and and which ones turn on and off, the whole thing is really super important. If you're going to use a tool like this, like an autopilot, which is a great tool, uh, you have to know how to use it. And I've flown with people who they know how to use heading and altitude hold and that is it. And they, they will fly the plane around and fly an approach in heading mode, changing the heading bug three degrees at a time or something like this is ridiculous. But, but you have to know how to use it or you just get bogged down in playing with it. And I've seen that too where people, they don't know how to use something they have. And this is autopilot or the GPS or something. I saw this uh, pretty dramatically a couple weeks ago. The pilot spent so much time trying to play around and figure out you know, what he was doing wrong, that the plane's just going all over the sky. Now, fortunately, we were, you know, VFR in the practice area basically at the time, but but he was totally ignoring, you know, the basic flying of the airplane, trying to figure out some mode of, I forget, the autopilot or GPS. So knowing how to uh, resolve that issue in the most basic ways is really important. I mean, if he had just hit altitude and heading hold, he would have been you know, had time to f- figure out the rest, but as opposed to that, he was all over the sky. What you got, Eric? 
I was just curious when you're onboarding people who are using autopilot or GPS or whatever for the first time, do you teach them process flows to get to certain kind of information? Um, I, I've, I've found that to be super useful um, because we transition students from an analog, very, very basic aircraft to a G1000. <laughs> like, so it's like one day <laughs> dramatic, you're, yeah. you're flying on a mag compass. The next day, two 10-inch television screens. Um, and so what what we do in instrument training, the first stage of instrument is actually in the sim. Like they don't actually get in the airplane and they just learn nobology. Like that's the focus is just um, a process. And so we teach them to load approaches one way. It don't, yes, there are like 25 different ways to load an approach in a G1000, but, but let's not play with all of them. This is the most efficient way to do it. So just do it this way every time. And so if you want to access information, if you want to go direct to an airport, if you want to find nearest, yes, you can do that on the multifunction display or you can do it on the inset. But let's not let's not figure out how we want to deal with it because you're paying a bunch of money to figure that out in the airplane. Um, I'm just curious. Uh, do you teach like specific process flows for information or like specific process flows like with um, – with an autopilot, is it heading first then altitude? Do you teach a, do you teach like a process for how, how they do that as their transition? Because my situation is a little bit different in that I have very new pilots who are still new, even though they're going to a new airplane. You're talking about people who are fairly well seasoned in aviation and they're just coming into new technology for the first time. I'm just curious how that works. Yeah, that's a, it, it is a different situation for the type of training I do compared to you, Eric. Most definitely, uh, what I see a lot is. Uh, pilots who have some familiarity with something in the past, <laughs> you know, they, they were using an old autopilot. Now they have a new one or they're using an older GPS. And now they have a new one or something like that. So unfortunately, yes, I, to answer your direct question, yes, I do try to teach a, a certain, you know, step-by-step process here, press, you know, set this up, then do this up, then do this, you know, loader procedure, I guess. However, if they're used to doing it another way, you know, I, I don't want, I'm not trying to change their method if they have a good method, you know, cause, cause then we introduce confusion, right? And wait, Russ said to do it this way, but I've always done it this other way. Is, is my way wrong? No, not necessarily. So if they have, when some you're going to have people with different equipment, you know, yeah. d- different levels of autopilot, um, maybe it's just a wing level, or maybe this is a full three axis with, you know, glide slope capture. And st- I mean, so that was, that was sort of where I was going with that. If you're dealing with non-standardized equipment, with pilots at all different experience levels. I mean, that's, that's a different, certainly a different approach. It is. The, the and the goal is always to get them to that place of max efficiency. Yes, it is. And it is very personalized. I mean, it depends on, you know, I ask them what they've used before and what do they have now? And we figure out where to go from that. I mean, you know, like if you, if you've used the Garma 430, for example, you know, that's very similar to the G1000. It was based on a lot of the similar architecture and, and even the 650, 750 and a lot of the newer garments kind of have the same feel to them. But if your experience was on something else, then, then the whole training process is a little bit different, uh, because the structure and the order and organization of the, the flow of the process, like you were saying, it, it can be different, but I do try to get them to do things in a standardized, repeatable way, whether it's the way I would do it, or not is is not really the issue. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I will show them the way I do it. But if they have a different way that they're used to, well, that's that's okay. 
Sorry know. to hijack the air no. <laughs> management conversation, Carl. I was just well, kind of curious. Well, it's been a while I, since I've done that instruction. And when, when I was doing that, the, the G1000 was brand new, you know, and people were coming in. And generally they had seen, like you said, they'd seen a 435 30 before. Maybe they'd been in an airplane with an autopilot. And so you were always it seemed every case was completely different. And they had a completely different skill set and a and a completely different attitude toward the automation. Some people were putting these high, super highly capable equipment in their aircraft, but they didn't trust it. I was like, well, <laughs> so do you want to do you want to learn to use it? Well, yeah, just in case. I want to know how do you want. It's not adjusting, and you need you need to have a process that you need to operate the airplane in a consistent, predictable way. Otherwise, you, to tie this back, you're going to find yourself on short final, not hearing the gear warning horn, and because you just because you, you need to operate in a predictable, standardized way, so that you can catch these these potential mistakes. And an automation is such an easy place for those mistakes to happen. And to that point, Eric, you and where it applies here is automation management also includes your being able to understand your automation and using those processes so that you can actually engage and disengage and and change the levels of automation because that is a huge part of threat and error management is that if you need to do something immediately, what do you do? You get rid of your automation. You disengage your automation for that immediate maneuver. Uh, but maybe the automation is the problem, but you wouldn't know that if you didn't actually go through and get trained on that uh, automation. The As a matter of fact, too, uh, with that automation, you have to understand that sometimes it's the best thing to do is to engage automation and and then go fly. I mean, this happened. We just had a big storm. I was flying in the Northeast recently, and you know, we both briefed it. Hey, 100 feet, we're turning the automation on because we need to really concentrate on getting around the storm. Uh, so just remember... There's different levels of automation. That's one of those things in your tool chest is automation. Make sure you learn it. Uh, also, a big part of that, too, uh, in the different toolkits is situational awareness and understanding uh, where you are, what you're doing. And, and sometimes when we define a good pilot, of course, a good pilot is someone who controls the plane and, and does a great job there. But I think a really good pilot is someone that has continual situational awareness. And there's many ways that we lose situational awareness, uh, but we also have reminders and we have ways to bring ourselves back into the situation, back into the world that we're flying in right now all and there's different memory joggers and with you know a lot of the highly automated air aircraft you do have memory joggers that are just like you know things will ring and things will buzz things will scream at you that kind of thing also there's physical memory joggers uh if i know that after a thousand feet i have to turn right to zero five zero i can set my heading bug to zero five zero that's a that's a physical memory jogger so these are the kind of things that we are doing to keep ourselves engaged and enable ourselves to be part of that situation and aware of everything that's going on. So remember to really in the situational awareness realm, we talk about the three R's, you know, to defend against the loss of your situation and situational awareness, you know, it's recognize, you know, first of all, you know, look for those flags, trust your, trust your internal feelings, trust your gut, that kind of thing. Uh, react, you know, ensure that there's a, a safe path of flight, you know, add that time like we talked about before. And, and regain, you know, use use all those tools that you can to actually get the situational awareness back. You can use your communication with the person next to you or air traffic control. So make sure you actually, you know, 
recognize situational awareness in a in a crew environment we recognize that by a lack of communication uh that's a little bit tougher and in an environment where you're flying by yourself and one of the things that i do is i try to do a continual uh a loop for myself as far as where am i what am i doing what happens next and i think if you do the what if stuff the what if planning on a continual basis that actually helps you keep your situation you know your situation really upfront and personal in front of you at all times saying, if this happened, I'm going there. If I lose an engine, I'm going here. Uh, I know with my students, they, they, they should know right away if I pull the engine where they're going to land, but also other things. What if I lose communication? You're constantly doing that. I call it the paranoid pilot. I don't know if that's a great way to describe it, uh, but I do. I fly around. I'm incredibly paranoid at all times, waiting for something to go wrong. I'm not, you know, shaking, but I'm just like, you know, always uh, keyed up, ready to go and ready to react. So when I do have an engine failure, I know exactly where I'm going. So that helps that situational awareness. You know, in this threat and error management, I know we're running out a little bit of time here. But we have this this threat and error management. We we talk about it within the airline world. It really is apropos in general aviation. We we have all these defenses against having us come to an undesired state, an undesired aircraft state, uh, and making sure that we don't get there. And uh, you know, a lot of times these undesired states may not result you know into an accident. Say uh, the undesired state is is something that that is the the wrong heading. Well, if it was only a few degrees off and you're not going to hit anything, that doesn't re- resolve into an accident. But it is an undesired state, so we want to make sure we prevent it, and and we continually make ourselves safer through these tools that we have. We want to prevent these errors. We go through all those checklists. We go through all those communications, those briefings, you know, the flows checklists, SOPs, whatever you want, you want to use. We trap those errors. We communicate. We do what if planning, that type of thing, time management, etc. We mitigate the situation. We mitigate that 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 actual undesired state or that that threat that we have out there by slowing down by situational awareness by teamwork teamwork not just on on the single pilot it's air traffic control and just making sure that you incorporate all these other things flying skills is another one keep your skills up constantly practice because threat and error management is something that we will continually evolve and and make better as years come on but but it's so simple. That's what I absolutely love about this is that here I am. I'm trying to prevent, trap, and mitigate those threats so that we don't have an accident, an, innocent, an incident, or even a violation. No matter what, it could be just a violation. Maybe it's a th- you know an altitude hold that you did wrong or an altitude that you climbed to that was wrong. That's a violation. Those are all undesired states. And those are the reasons I wanted to introduce this threat and error management because I think this is a great tool and I, this is one of those things at the airlines that I was so excited about learning that I could actually use in my airplane. Because every time I fly and everything I do, I look at and I say, I'm taking off and the threat today is the weather. I'm going to put my radar on. Or the threat today is the weather. I'm going to turn away from it. That's how I'm mitigating that threat. And I'm constantly doing something to mitigate that threat. And uh, and one of the things I challenge you to do is go out there and and learn about uh, this threat and error management through some of those courses online. Uh, but uh, but with that, uh, that is your introduction to threat and error management. It really is, it's, it's a lot, it's simple. It's not as easy to implement until you get in that mode. But once you, the light bulb comes on and you implement the threat and error management, 
you really will realize that this is terrific. This is really terrific for you in your general aviation aircraft. And I know it's designed uh, by the airlines, but it's one of those things I think that has some some great applications here in the general aviation world. Uh, but uh, and I appreciate Eric and, and Russ coming to discuss this. And there's so we could talk forever on all these different things that that we could do and examples we could give you where we've had the use of this threat and error management and TEM and preventing and trapping and mitigating those errors. Uh, but that would be like five hours of discussion. So well, no, that's the point though, right? This isn't, this isn't rocket science. I mean, right. it's, it's logic, it's common sense. It's just, it's being thoughtful about stuff that we should be doing anyway. It's just, it's putting an acronym on a process that, that good pilots have been doing for forever. Um, this is, I mean, uh, this is this is not uh, reinventing the wheel. It's just giving the wheel a name so that we can predictably, you know, know how the wheel's going to function every time we start it rolling. Absolutely. Well, with that said, guys, I, I know we, we can definitely talk some more on this. I think we need to move on to our after landing checklist. Our picks of the week. My pick of the week, by the way, I'm going to start this off. Uh, it's actually an Instagram page, which I think is really cool because there's this guy that's that's putting it together. Uh, Tyler Koontz is doing a great job. And that's actually the Polk State Flight Team's uh, Instagram page. Of course, I'm the coach of that. But the cool thing about it and the thing I love about it is the fact that uh, Tyler has been putting up um, these little summaries of all the people on the team and meet the team. And the thing I was excited about it is that it kind of goes over people's backgrounds and the things that they're looking forward to in life. And, and it kind of got me motivated uh, to realize why I got involved with this flight team. But in general, it's, it's really cool to see something good, seeing people doing something that's, that's really good. I'm glad you mentioned, though, that, that Tyler was posting those because I had been looking at him going, man, when did Carl get all like graphically inclined? I didn't know that Carl could <laughs> create pretty looking content. <laughs> That's not very nice. <laughs> that wasn't very nice. Um, yeah, well, so, I'm, so I'm a little biased full, full too, disclosure, right? I don't normally do all the graphics for my website, and you know, you know, I, I just I think, I, but I agree with you though, Carl. It's just such a it's it's cool to to get to know people. It's one thing, that, you know they they do compete and they do a great job, and I'm super proud of them. I'm a little biased too, since I get to be their program director. But but it uh, but also it's just it's neat to see the backstory. Um, like and uh, Tyler's a great example. You know, Tyler is is in our program at Polk State because uh, of Aviation Careers podcast. You know, that's you know he he found out about they you know, just basically cold called me one day and said, hey, can I move from Missouri and become you know a student? And I was like, I, I mean, yes, sure, of course you can. <laughs> and so and then here he is. So we're we're glad to have him. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the fact that all these backgrounds are really cool. Like some of these guys are mechanics in the military and, you know, Tyler did some work in pro professional baseball and football is really, really cool stuff. So uh, it's neat to see that everybody comes to this aviation world from so many different places and, and has different things that they really enjoy. So that's my pick of the week. Instagram.com slash Polk State Flight Team. Russ, what is your pick of the week? Well, it actually fits in real well with threat and error management. It's it's a book by author's name is Kevin McDonald. It's an autobiography. It's called Life Inside the Dead Man's Curve, The Chronicles of a Public Safety Helicopter Pilot. The Dead Man's Curve is according to the height velocity diagram of a helicopter for anybody who's familiar with helicopter operations. There's kind of an area where you, they can be, you know, they're, they're hovering essentially are too high and too slow to be able to successfully uh, auto-rotate if they had an engine failure. And... So he uses it in the title because a whole lot of their operations that he's doing is, you know, hovering at 
you know, altitudes in which if they had a problem that would be uh, very risky, <laughs> you know, likelihood of a successful landing was very small. So very much a threat. And they, um, this, this organization that the, the author flew for did, uh, they did rescues, you know, public safety work, you know, uh, you know, flood efforts, you know, plucking people off houses and such and fire relief and fire suppression and including, you know, just normal, normal, I say, you know, medevac type operations as well. So all kinds of stuff that, that a helicopter is a great tool for. And a lot of them were, I mean, were at night and horrible weather, you know, so, so he does go in and talk about how they you know, tried to mitigate some of these threats. So it really fits in with what we're talking about today. Um, I liked, he also put in there some of his, um, you know, the, the human impact, you know, of, of what he did. And he actually got to meet some of the people that he rescued, you know, later on, which was kind of, kind of cool. I thought so, um, really, really good book. It's kind of a sad book. It opens up sad. The guy sustained an injury that ended his helicopter flying career, but, but, uh, he gets that out, out of the way right in the beginning. So it's not much of a spoiler, but, uh, but he, uh, you know, great, great entertaining read. If you're interested in helicopters or, you know, rescues and that kind of stuff, highly recommended. Awesome. Of course, a book from, from Russ. Thanks so much. I appreciate Thank that. You. Yes. And, uh, you know, don't forget all the other picks of the week. You can find out all the different Russ's books uh, you can find from Russ's reading list. Actually, that's what we should call it, Russ's reading list. And, uh, and actually some terrific reads out there. So thanks so much for that one, Russ. Uh, our next pick of the week comes from Eric. Eric Crumb, what is your pick of the week? So I'm going to be terribly unoriginal and pick a book also uh, written by a good Yay. friend of mine, a, a guy that I am uh, very fortunate to know. Um, this, this book is called Leadership from 30,000 Feet, um, and it kind of it combines my two favorite things, uh, leadership um, and uh, aviation. And so it's written by five Air Force generals, and it, it uses real stories from from their storied long multi multi-decade career in the air force and actually brings that to um to a leadership lesson so every every story every chapter ends with a a, a really poignant takeaway um i got i bought this book because my friend jake is one of the authors and um, I was like, well, I'm I'm gonna buy I'm gonna support Jake and buy the book. You know, <laughs> somebody's got to give Jake an, an Amazon review. So, so I, I bought it and and just absolutely couldn't put it down. It was one of those things because it's it's real, it's real stories, it's 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 things that really happened to them. Either you know from flying the A10 Warthog, flying the U2, the F16, or or just managing airmen. Unfortunately, in a couple of cases, you know, some people lose their lives and. It's how to lead through adversity, how to lead through um, setbacks and and still accomplish the mission. And I think a lot of that um, carries over directly into, um, you know, leading from the front of the airplane, whether you're there with the crew and there's people behind you or you're there by yourself and it's just you or whatever it is. It's it's um, it's it's good. I highly recommend it, not just because my buddy wrote it, but because it's uh, it. I have actually used this. I've used these lessons and I think you will enjoy them as well. Yeah, apropos here at uh, Threat and Error Management, leadership is an important part of that. Uh, so I can't wait to read this one. I'm definitely going to put that on my shelf. Uh, and I appreciate that, Eric. Eric, I appreciate you coming here today and also Russ for being here. Uh, you can find Eric at uh, Polk State. Uh, 
polk.edu slash aerospace. You need me to do it? You got it. I almost said polkstateflightteam.com, which you can also find him there. Which you could also, <laughs> yeah. you can, we can link to either, either one. one. You can get so, to either one from either place. <laughs> polk.edu slash aerospace. <laughs> and Russ, of course, you can find him here in the, our contact page and our meet your hosts and uh, find him also on Twitter and uh, us on Instagram, Twitter. We really appreciate you guys listening, by the way. And, uh, and if you notice, we've kind of shifted back to our, uh, you know, original format where we're trying to teach about flying, you know, learning to fly, living to fly, loving to fly. Uh, and you will learn something almost every episode. Uh, we'll try to keep you entertained while we're doing that. I hope this threat and error management is something that you'll implement in your life, uh, in your flying life, and possibly in other aspects of your life. I think threat and error management can be used in many different places. But just remember that there's lots of defenses there in all of your flying. Don't let that Swiss cheese line up. Prevent, trap, and mitigate those threats. And most importantly, I want you to go out out there now and look for something on the internet, uh, a book, etc. Something we talked about to get into aviation. If you're not flying right now, uh, read a book, you know, magazines, flying magazine, threat and error management. Take those fasafety.gov courses out there. Get back into it because aviation is such a wonderful thing. You can learn so much about yourself, about others, about life in general. It teaches you to be a leader. It's going to teach you how to mitigate risks in your life. It's also going to be something that's super fun and something we really love. Well, folks, we'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying out there. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.